Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we navigate weird and wonderful science through your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Tom Solston from Digital Rights Watch concludes our discussion about human rights, security and the 2021 Australian Census. But first up, here's some brain news. Fruit fights Parkinson's in mice. Researchers from John Hopkins University School of Medicine have found evidence that the compound Farnesol, found in many fruits and herbs, can prevent and even reverse the damage caused by Parkinson's disease in mice. Farnesol is used commercially for flavours and perfumes. Parkinson's disease causes problems with movement and cognition, tremors, muscle rigidity, confusion and dementia through the loss of brain cells that produce dopamine. In the brains of people with Parkinson's disease, a buildup of the protein Parkin interacting substrate, Paris, slows down the manufacture of the protective protein peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gamma coactivator 1-alpha, or PGC1-alpha for short. The protein shields brain cells from damaging reactive oxygen molecules that accumulate in the brain. Without PGC1-alpha, dopamine neurons die off, leading to the cognitive and physical changes associated with Parkinson's disease. The researchers identified Farnesol's potential by screening a large library of drugs to find those that inhabited Paris. Experiments showed that Farnesol both significantly prevented the loss of dopamine neurons and reversed behavioural deficits in mice. To study whether Farnesol could protect brains from the effects of Paris accumulation, the researchers fed mice either a Farnesol supplemented diet or a regular mouse diet for a week. Then the researchers administered preformed fibrils of the protein alpha-synuclein, which is associated with the effects of Parkinson's disease in the brain. The researchers found that the mice fed the Farnesol diet performed 100% better on strength and coordination tests designed to detect advancement of Parkinson's disease symptoms. When the researchers later studied brain tissue of mice in the two groups, they found that the mice fed a Farnesol supplemented diet had twice as many healthy dopamine neurons than mice not fed the Farnesol enriched diet. The Farnesol fed mice also had about 55% more of the protective protein PGC1-alpha in their brains than the untreated mice. In chemical experiments, the researchers confirmed that Farnesol binds to Paris, changing the protein shape so that it can no longer interfere with the PGC1-alpha production. Despite the fact that Farnesol is used commercially, it's not yet been established how much Farnesol is a safe dose for humans. This means the first clinical trials will have to be for safety, despite the fact that people are consuming Farnesol every day. 
We also don't know how much Farnesol people are eating in their diet. Researchers hope to either use Farnesol to treat Parkinson's disease directly or to develop a drug using the same mechanism if it can't be used directly in humans. In previous research, Farnesol has been reported to also show anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory effects and alleviate allergic asthma, gliosis from brain injury and edema fluid retention. As well as fruit, Farnesol is found in the essential oils of plants such as citronella, lemongrass, tuberose, cyclamen, rose, neroli, balsam and musk. The paper was titled Paris Farnesolation Prevents Neurodegeneration in Models of Parkinson's Disease and was published in the journal Science Translational Medicine. Brain Compasses Researchers at the California Institute of Technology have discovered that humans have an unconscious magnetic compass in our heads that can tell when we've rotated relative to the Earth's magnetic field. The Earth is surrounded by a magnetic field generated by the movement of the planet's liquid iron core. It's why a magnetic compass points north. At Earth's surface, this magnetic field is pretty weak, about a hundred times weaker than a fridge magnet. From bacteria to insects, fish, birds and mammals, many animals have been found to have tiny nanocrystals of magnetite that give them the ability to detect the Earth's magnetic field. Bees respond as strongly to magnetic fields as they do to light, odour and touch. Dogs can be trained to find a hidden bar magnet. Humans have these tiny magnets in our brains. So why shouldn't we have a magnetic sense too? The California Institute of Technology researchers' reasoning is that in normal life, when someone rotates their head, say, nodding up and down or turning their head from left to right, the direction of the geomagnetic field, which remains constant, will shift relative to their skull. This is no surprise to your brain, as it directed the muscles to move your head in the right direction in the first place. So the Earth's magnetic field could be giving a sense of our rotational motion in space. To test human use of these tiny magnets in our heads, the researchers asked 34 people to sit in a testing chamber while the electrical activity in their brains was directly recorded with electroencephalography, EEG. The testing chamber was shielded from outside magnetic fields by a Faraday cage. They generated a magnetic field in the chamber that matched the exact direction of the Earth's magnetic field in their location in the Northern Hemisphere dipping downwards to the north at about 60 degrees from the horizontal. Then they moved the direction of the magnetic field relative to the seated person's brain, as if that person had moved their head. This is comparable to when your head or your body is passively rotated by somebody else, or when you're a passenger in a car which rotates. In those cases, your body will still have vestibular signals from your inner ears about your position in space, along with the magnetic field changes. But in this experiment, there was only a magnetic field shift. Consciously, everyone said nothing happened. But the EEG showed that their brains were paying attention to something having changed. One EEG pattern known from existing research called the alpha event-related desynchronization, ERD, typically shows up when a person suddenly detects and processes stimulus from their senses. The brains of the people in the test chamber were 
concerned with the unexpected change in the magnetic field direction, and this triggered the alpha wave reduction. People's brains only responded when the vertical component of the magnetic field was pointing downwards at 60 degrees, while horizontally rotating, as it does naturally in California. They didn't respond to unnatural directions of the magnetic field, like pointing it upwards. The researchers suggest that this means the response is tuned to natural stimuli, reflecting a biological mechanism that's been shaped by natural selection. Other researchers have shown that animals' brains filter magnetic signals, only responding to those that are environmentally relevant. It makes sense to reject any magnetic signal that's too far away from the natural values of Earth's magnetic field because it's most likely to come from some sort of anomaly, a lightning strike, or a, some sort of magnetic deposit in the ground. One early report on birds showed that robins stop using the geomagnetic field if the strength is more than about 25% different from what they're used to. It's possible that this tendency might be why previous researchers had trouble identifying this magnetic sense in humans. If they cranked up the strength of the magnetic field to help subjects detect it, they might have instead ensured that subjects' brains ignored it. These results show that the biological magnetometer in human beings can tell north from south, which is what you would expect from the use of nanocrystals of magnetite, tiny little compasses. The discovery raises lots of questions. Do the weak and strong brain responses reflect some kind of individual differences in navigational ability? Can those with weaker brain responses benefit from some kind of training? Can those with strong responses be trained to actually feel the magnetic field. The paper was titled Transduction of the Geomagnetic Field as Evidenced from Alpha Band Activity in the Human Brain. It was published in the Journal of Neuroscience. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. The big count of population is made every 10 years. This is the time when Census Bureau enumerators visit every household with their list of basic questions such as where were you born, how many people in this house, how did you get to work last week, and so on. And the results of all this questioning appear as statistical tables in this five-foot shelf of books. Now, I don't suppose many of you reach for a volume of census reports when you feel the urge to curl up with a good book. But still, these columns of figures have a great deal to tell us about who we are, what we do, and how we live. Every stat tells a story, says the census letter from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. But what if you don't want your personal story told? Well, supporting a national overview as revealed by large collections of statistical data. After all, your personal name and address are unique. They're hardly statistical information. Tom Solston is the Deputy Chair of Digital Rights Watch, a charity that looks after Australian rights on the internet. I continued our conversation by asking how big a privacy invasion the 2021 census really is. My understanding is that the Australian Bureau of Statistics has already had data breaches, 
I was reading from last time that in the three years from 2013 to 2016, they'd had 14 data breaches. And there'd also been cases of employees of the Australian Bureau of Statistics misusing the data for insider trading. So if anybody in government potentially could get hold of your file of your history of your surveillance, that seems like the biggest invasion of privacy they could possibly do outside of putting cameras in your home. Yeah, I, it, it is a it is a big invasion. And I'll say, I, I think the, the Australian Bureau of Statistics as an institution, you know, it does a good and important job. But at any bureaucracy, any institution of that size is comprised of individuals. And some of those individuals will be better than others. And some will be more moral and some will make mistakes because we're all humans. And, you know, someone's going to leave their laptop on the bus or, you know, type in the wrong password or go to the wrong database or whatever it might be. We're all humans doing doing this work. And so, yes, mistakes happen. And so that is why I think it's really important to to ensure that we have some some oversight. What kind of independent auditing do we have uh, of the census? That means we know that the the promises that are made to us about how that data is being looked after are being kept. So how can we audit you know, 18 months after the census, that all of that personal identifiable information has been deleted. I think that's a really important thing for us to to work out in order to have confidence that that is happening and then to, to feel that we can share that information. And without that, it's not surprising that a lot of people will feel a bit nervous about sharing that information. My understanding is that some of the other things the government's been gathering, like when they started getting the data of uh, the websites that you visit from the internet providers, that that information was originally going to be, you know, very restricted, and now it's very widely available you know, to local councils and all sorts of all sorts of data sharing seems to go. And every time they tell us it's going to be very closely restricted and your privacy will be respected, and then it seems to be used for well, not only for even the lowest levels of government. But even for non-government organisations seem to easily be able to get this sort of data. Yeah, the Australian government is not unique in in this aspect. There is a well-documented history of scope creep where, you know, a system is built and it has a, a purpose that it is described for. And then over time, some more uses are discovered. And so, you know, those purposes get added. And then over time, some more users are discovered and, and they get added so you're right of the metadata bill and the assistance and access bill kind of both in, in recent memory, those bills were brought forward for the purposes of national security and keeping us safe from, you know, the most dangerous criminals from, from terrorists who would, would do, do us and the nation great harm. But when you read through the list of agencies that now have access to that data, it includes local councils, the RSPCA, like all sorts of bodies that do good work, but they're not doing national security terrorist defeating work. They're doing things that are not that important. And it is an easy way for them to get access to some data which they can use for some purposes. But we've it means we've never had the conversation about whether that is proportionate, whether it is a good enough reason to make some sacrifices for those administrative reasons to hold that data rather than those that are to do with really important serious crime. So last time, some people decided they would go camping on census night. Some people insisted on getting paper copies of 
the census forms instead of doing it online, and some people used light blue ink that's not machine readable. There were all sorts of dodges people did to try and protect their privacy. Do you think people will try the same thing this time? Well, I think it's unlikely that there are going to be a lot of people leaving the country this time. <laughs> um, but I think there are there are things that we as individuals can do to take some control over our privacy. And the easiest way to do that is to get a paper copy of the census form. The reason that allows us to take more control is the is that we can write whatever we want on the form. There isn't a computer saying, no, you can't write that there or you can't leave that blank. If you fill in the form online, you won't be allowed to proceed with the filling in your census details if you leave any, any fields blank. And so by taking a paper form, an individual is able to say, I'm comfortable answering this question, I'm not comfortable answering that question, and they can contribute as much as they want to to the census. And that's, that is a good thing. So the immediate advice is as soon as the ABS releases details on how to get a paper form, get a paper form and use that. There will be a lot of pressure put on the Australian public again this year to fill in the form online. The ABS has said they want to get 75% of Australians filling out the form online. And also they need to show that they have done right after the, the kind of horrific server failures of last year. But it is worth remembering that filling out the form online is of benefit to the administrators within the ABS. Filling out a paper form is to the benefit of the person filling out the form. And so that is why it's a, an important act that allows a person to take back control over, over their data and what they want to share. Now, I think it's worth noting that Australia is one of the few countries in the world where you have to fill out the census and you can be fined if you do not. And so that, I think, puts a very different power balance between the state and, and Australian citizens. So it is... You know, it is important to to return a form because obviously if you do not do that, you, you may be at risk of fines. But, and I, I am not a lawyer, so do not take this as legal advice, it feels that if a person were not to complete their form in its entirety, there is a reasonable argument to be made that that is, you know, that they have a, a good reason to hold back that information and that is a, a discussion that can be had rather than refusing to uh, participate in the census. As I've said before, the census is really important. It's really useful. So it's vital that Australians participate and fill that form in with the data that they are comfortable sharing and not everything in the world. Yes, particularly your IP address is going to be recorded if you go through the website. Uh, yes, I imagine it, it would be because that will be logged and, and as part of the, the normal running of the, of the website to keep it up. I have to admit, given, given they, they, they're looking for physical addresses and far more personal information than your IP address, that's not overly worrying. The more worrying thing is that the system will check inputs as you type them in and, and won't necessarily let you continue if, for instance, you decide not to provide your name. There is one thing which is, I think, not unique to the 2021 census, but has become quite evident in the 2021 census which is the use of the census to capture data that the government would like to see and to ignore data that it would not like to see. So this is not the same as 
as a bias or kind of falsifying data. This is asking questions to which the government would like an answer and ignoring questions that it would not like an answer to. So in this census, Australians will be asked their, their sex. We get given three options, male, female, or other. And so the, the other is there to give you know, transgender or intersex people the ability to say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not male or female, I'm, I'm something different. But other is a very broad category, and there are all sorts of dimensions of, of human gender that do not fit into that. And so by asking the question in that very narrow way, we are effectively erasing those people and making it hard for those communities to be noticed by the civil service because they do not appear in the census. And even more worryingly about that that specific question is how that data will be reported. So for those individuals who select other as their sex, when the ABS generates reports, those people will be assigned a sex based on statistical sampling, which kind of obviates the point of having a census in the first place. If you're just going to give someone what you think statistically their gender is, why even ask the question? And so that that to me raises some real questions of who, who gets noticed in the census? And kind of a sister question to that is there will be a question about the Australian Defence Force. Has a person been in the Australian Defence Force? Which feels like an odd question for a census because you would expect the ADF to have, you know, HR records of who has worked there and, you know, what they were paid and what their years were and what their rank was and those sorts of things. So it feels a really strange question to put into a census, you know, unless you're looking to drive some kind of political agenda where you want to say X thousand people have been in the the ADF in this area and therefore we're going to spend Y hundred million dollars on a war memorial or whatever. Mm. Sorry, say that again? Or buying their vote. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be cynical to say that a government would go and put station car parks in areas of high ADF representation because they perceive those individuals to be more likely to vote in a certain direction, but it wouldn't be outwit the realms of possibility. And similarly, we, we are not, I believe, having questions about sexuality in this census, which is a very important part of of human existence. It's a very important part of a lot of Australians' lives, but by not asking those questions, we are not gathering the data that will allow parliamentarians and governments to to build services for people of diverse sexualities and gender. And I think that is a worrying trend to see, not necessarily, it's not necessarily a bias in the census, it's more asking the questions that, asking only the questions you want the answers to rather than asking difficult questions that may mean you have to provide more services or different services to different groups of people. And that is that is also a worry in this instance of the census. And I hope that future instances of the census, Australians will be more able to express their full identity, knowing that it will help them get looked after better if they are in a, a minority, and that it will help the government make decisions better for all Australians and not merely those that it has asked about. Well, Tom Salston, thank you very much. Thank you. That was the second and final part of my interview with Tom Salston, Deputy Chair of Digital Rights Watch. The Australian Bureau of Statistics have released their census instructions. You can request a paper form online using your unique identifier code and a password, 
or by using your mobile phone which is tied by law to your name and address. Or you can call an automated 1800 number and request a paper form to be sent to you. This seems like the best option. Theoretically, you could then remove all the identifying barcodes and numbers, but I don't know if that would open you to being accused of not submitting the form and then being charged a $222 a day fine. The census is important, so it is important to fill it in, but it's also important to keep your privacy. So it's a matter of balancing the two of them. In the coming weeks, I'll have interviews on the right to repair and how the knowledge that COVID is airborne can be applied to reduce people's chances of catching it. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. A big thank you to Lewis for donating through PayPal and to my four monthly donors on Patreon, Stormy, Yevgeny, Joanna and Ian. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.